the brands were in control. Those who could afford mass media were in control. Now with the internet, there's just like a million choices. In today's episode, we have a special treat. Flexport CEO and founder Ryan Peterson sits down with A16's growth editor, Das Rush. They start with the question of why Ryan has chosen, of all the problem spaces out there, improving the resiliency of the supply chain. They also covered just how complex the supply chain is, especially in the era of e-commerce, evolving customer expectations, and ultimately how we can re-architect the supply chain to meet them. Given the holiday shopping coming up, you won't want to miss this. If you like this episode, I have a feeling you'll also like our recently published and first ever American Dynamism 50 list, a list of 50 companies building in the national interest that embody the ethos of American Dynamism. You can find it at our homepage at a16z.com or at a16z.com slash American dash dynamism dash 50. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal business tax or investment advice or be used to evaluate any investment or security and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com slash disclosures. So I kind of want to start at the beginning because you've really chosen to dedicate a lot of your adult life to this mission of improving supply chain and global global trade. Why? Why that mission and that problem space? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me here. It's uh, I think if, well, there's a couple of angles that that I approach this from. One is you know you kind of look at the pie chart of GDP of like where is all the money spent, where are the, all the activity in the economy. And if you were to divide each of those slices by the number of hours of computer programming that have been applied, I think you would see that logistics is one of the high, biggest opportunities in the world of like, there's just, this is like an incredibly important space. Trade is 47% of GDP. And yet anyone who's ever tried to do it actually actively. And when I used to run a business importing products from Asia, motorcycles from Asia and selling them on the internet back in the early 2000s, late nineties. And was just a nightmare. And so you're like, wait, here's something that's really important. I mean, you can measure its importance by the number of dollars that are spent and the size, you know, relative to GDP, but also just like it has been the backbone of the world economy. It's the circulatory yeah. system of the world economy. And on on many levels, it's I, I might argue that the shipping container was the most important invention of the 20th century. I think um, we've reduced the cost of shipping things by like 99%. We used to have to load these ships backbreaking labor, hand carrying stuff onto the ships. Uh, and yet the shipping container was invented in the 60s and, and deployed in the 70s and really hasn't changed much since then. Mm-hmm. Um, almost no innovation. And, and again, anyone who's tried to do it, tried to actively ship something across borders will, t- will tell you it's a nightmare. And most small businesses never can do it. They Only 3% of companies in, are buying and selling goods across borders right now. Uh, and what are the odds that every other company has all their best vendors locally? Yeah. Um, so you see that something that's this important and this hard, it's like a good heat map for, and, and this many dollars being spent, right? Um, good heat map for where to apply yourself. And, and so I started doing that 20 years ago. I mean, it's interesting because you, you use this uh, metaphor of like the circulatory system and, and kind of all the pain points, which I think ex- explains why people haven't really tackled it before. It's one of the hardest, most complex things uh, or spaces to be in with the supply chain. So knowing that kind of going in, how did you decide where to start and then how have you thought about kind of when and where to expand? Yeah, so um, we benefit a lot from my own 
naivete and kind of <laughs> naive optimism, I like to call it. I was like, I didn't understand all the, I never worked in the industry. I was a customer of the industry, bought shipping motorcycles uh, and later selling data to the industry and in another company I started. And so we, I knew enough to be dangerous. I knew what the customer experience should be. I wanted this dashboard to give me visibility over all my freight. Tell me what, what it was going to cost, when things were going to arrive, what all these weird terms mean. <laughs> I mean, the industry still uses Viking English. We say bill of lading uh, <laughs> instead of loading. I didn't um, know that. There's a lot of like it, acronyms and code words and stuff. So I wanted a, a simple dashboard to teach me what all stuff means. Make it, you might call it like TurboTax for importing. And the place that we started was kind of TurboTax like it was customs, which is where you pay your taxes to, to enter uh, into the country. Um, this was, I felt, where most of the complicated paperwork lives, where the data lives. Because if you want to clear a good through U.S. Customs, you have to provide the commercial invoice, the bill of lading, packing list, all this incredible rich documentation and, and ultimately structured data that now lets you understand, okay, what is this company doing? What what other services would they want to buy? So we started as a customs brokerage. It's the stickiness. We say in the industry, you date your freight forwarder, but you marry your customs broker. <laughs> um, and it's it's a compliance service. It's not where you're trying to cut costs. Like freight is kind of a commodity and everyone wants to go with the cheapest freight provider they can find. But customs, you're not trying to save money. You're trying to make sure you're compliant. You're not breaking any rules. You want it to be your system of record where you're tracking everything for future audits, et cetera. So started as a customs broker and then kind of have expanded from there. What we found pretty early to my dismay was that we had to do it all much sooner. I, I thought we'd just hang out as a customs broker for many years, uh-huh. be the world's best, most dialed in customs broker. We found out as a startup customs brokerage, nobody really trusted us in the beginning. We had to build our brand. Yeah. And so we were getting all the problem cases of people who like didn't, they were, other freight forwarders didn't want to do their customs. It's a red flag, right? You're like, wait, why is this person doing customs with me and freight with yep. somebody else? Um, so we had a lot of problem cases in the beginning, quickly had to expand to offer freight services. Now we sell insurance, cargo insurance. Um, we offer financing for the goods. And probably the most important product we have is our order management product. So this is where you place orders to your factories, convert those to shipments. And then now we've got that transaction running through our rails, and we can offer you all the other services on top of that. Wow. Okay. So, you know, kind of from that initial expansion, you've kind of reached this point now where you are like a global logistics company. And I've heard you refer to Amazon as kind of, you know, this company you really admire for how they handle the complexity of logistics. And in fact, you have kind of right now as your co-CEO, Dave Clark, who came over and was formerly um, CEO of Worldwide Consumer um, at Amazon. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that decision, like how and why you brought um, Dave in? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Amazon's the most interesting, important company in the world, frankly. Um, they have figured out a lot around how to be entrepreneurial at scale. And I think a lot of it comes from operating in, in relatively low margin businesses that you, you don't have the luxury of just like hiring lots of people and hoping that they do something interesting someday, like some of the other tech, uh, you know, the big tech companies. They got to keep executing constantly and delivering innovation. And it's pretty rare to see like a big giant corporation that's figured out how to really be a team of small companies, small business units. And it's for me, it's like a wrinkle in the law of large numbers. Mm-hmm. The law of large numbers says you, know, you get really big, you can only grow, you know, your, your growth rate slows down. But if in fact, all you are is a, an agglomeration of small companies, well, each one of those small units can grow really fast. And then all of a sudden, 
the whole thing can grow really fast. So I've been a big fan of Amazon for a long time, studying them from the outside. And it's not like I'm I'm in, I'm learning about this. I really enjoy mm-hmm. the the process. I think it's intellectually stimulating. How do you drive efficiency from a workforce? Studying things like the Toyota production system or WE Deming. There's like a lot of great kind of almost deeply philosophical work about how do you get ex- operational excellence and drive quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like learning on the job, which is kind of there's no excuse for that. It, given our industry, like we need more experience. So I was looking for a strong number two that could immediately upgrade our ability to like run really high quality and highly efficient operations for our, on behalf of our customers. And naturally, Amazon's a place I'm looking. And I, one of my um, secrets for recruiting, first of all, I do it myself when I'm doing exec recruiting. I don't rely on outside search firms. And I build my own list and track that in Google Sheets. No, nothing fancy. But I just go through my own network and ask everybody in my network to if, who they would introduce just to learn from and say, look, non-attachment outcomes, I just want to learn. And if each of those people gives me three people and each of those people give me three people, you have kind of this um, cancerous growth that eventually you get to <laughs> I was going to say talent supply chain. You know, I want to uh, circle back to, I think, this idea of like what it's going to take to become that, you know, world best operational company. But I want to actually step back first and talk a little bit more generally about the supply chain. You know, you've mentioned like the the admiration that you have for Amazon. And really, you know, nobody epitomizes the rise of like e-commerce more. Um, what have you seen as the impact really of e-commerce and the internet on on the supply chain and on how it works? Yeah, well, I think you want to start with the with the customers, with all of us. And the internet has really put us, us, you and me and everybody else out there in charge yeah. in a way that we've never seen before. Um, that the world, you know, in the in the era of mass media, companies only would run a television ad for whatever product they were selling. And then they would just kind of pump that down your throat. And they only needed to have a limited number of SKUs, whatever was on television, basically. Customers didn't have a lot of choice. They could buy this, you know, the Energizer or the Duracell. And there were two choices for what battery and they happened to be in the stores. And you, uh, and so you, the brands were in control. Those who could afford mass media were in control. Now with the internet, there's just like a million choices. You have every kind of possible brand of battery that's out there. A battery is probably a weird case, but still for, for every product category, there's a million choices. Everybody's unique. You can get the thing that matches your own personal taste. Um, you're in charge as well in that they better have that product now. You're not willing to wait a week. Like in the Sears catalog era, yeah. you could order and you'd get it in three weeks. Well, you're going to go out of business if you can't deliver you know, it's becoming two hour delivery, like if you can't deliver two hours. Um, and so that is a very different supply chain. And what's happened is companies that haven't been able to run a supply chain that's that responsive, that can have many a wider assortment of choices, because we're all unique, and we want our choices, and 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 have it sort of edge cached, to use an internet analogy, like a CDN, like you <laughs> want to have these goods like close to the customer, so that it can get there really, really fast. The old world, you could have one distribution center in the middle of the United States and distribute out to your store network from there. Uh, but it didn't have to be like super responsive to customer demand. Customer demand was pretty predictable, kind of always bought the same number of these batteries or whatever product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, was, it didn't have to be very agile. The modern world, all of a sudden, there's this proliferation of brands and it all has to be stored close to the edges. So, custom, so brands need to have multiple fulfillment centers. Uh, you need about five fulfillment centers to get two-day delivery nationwide. 
and you need probably to do next day. It's more like 16 fulfillment centers and you want to do same day. Well, you need one in almost every zip code, right? Uh, if you want to have two hour delivery. So that's a really, really different configuration of supply chain. And now um, you want to be able to get to that world where you're doing same day or next day delivery. You now need to load balance your inventory because if you put too much inventory out there and it doesn't sell, you're going to go bankrupt, mm -hmm. right? You're sitting on all this working capital, this inventory that's not earning a return too little and you lose the customer and they'll never come back, right? They buy yeah. your competitor's brand. And, and so that's the fundamental problem. And these logistics teams don't even really... At, at, at the typical brand, don't even really know that that's the problem they're solving. Mm -hmm. They're they're just still used to a world where all they care about is the price of freight. Yeah. Uh, and they want to buy the cheapest freight. And that's what they think their job is. When their job has become, how do I ensure a customer experience? How do I enable our sales and marketing to have the product in stock uh, so that they can win those customers, help be a growth engine and a customer experience engine? And then how do they empower their CFO yeah. to not sit on too much inventory. Um, and so it's a really different proposition. And frankly, most of the companies it, it, that that we grew up with, these iconic brands have been going bankrupt left and right. If you Google retail apocalypse, <laughs> just look like yeah. the number of companies that have failed that are iconic brands that we grew up with. It's really sad, actually. Um, and I, I don't think it has to be that way. So one of our, we kind of have dual purpose here. One is help the new age of brands mm -hmm. rise up and not need to hire this big logistics supply chain team who just pushes paper and, yeah. you know, just all they care about is the price of freight, but actually is empowered to solve these problems without hiring a big team because you don't need it anymore. You kind of outsource that to the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's one aspect of what we do. Help these small businesses grow really fast without the bureaucracy. The other is how do you help these enterprise brands, these famous companies transform themselves for a world of e-commerce and not die? Um, I think that both of these are really important missions for us. Yeah. And in some sense, the second one, I think, can almost be harder. Um, and I've heard you say kind of in the past that like one of your goals is to make the supply chain like as resilient and reliable as the power grid. Yeah. You know, and it's like one thing to do that, you know, in the in normal times. It's another thing to do it as you kind of have like a pandemic occurring. You know, you now have like a war in Ukraine that are creating these kind of delays and disruptions and shortages that we that we read about. How, like, what will it take to get the supply chain kind of to that point? And in particular, kind of, because you're talking about an architectural shift, really, in the supply chain. Um, what will it take to help those legacy players get there? Uh, well, the, the fundamental problem in supply chain is that it is a, a, that word chain, um, that there's, there's many companies. In fact, on a typical transaction where we're moving, let's say, a pallet of goods, cubic meter of goods from a factory in... Pick a, pick a city in, in Hangzhou, China to St. Louis, Missouri. If you, on a transaction like that, you'll have is at least 12 companies that either touch the goods physically mm. or are involved providing capital, like a trade finance or a letter of credit, cargo insurance and kind of bank payments, mm. uh, 12, at least 12 and as many as 20 companies involved in that transaction. And so you get, information bottlenecks. The goods bottlenecks are famous and we see the ships waiting offshore and all the problems, but what's happening in parallel is that the good, the data is not flowing. That people at each stage are having to rekey data into a system or not bothering. Mm. Uh, forwarding PDFs, we, we call it freight forwarding. I often joke it should be called freight email forwarding because you're just emailing <laughs> attachments between all these different companies and trying to wrangle it. Um, and so it leads to suboptimal decision-making. 
if you don't, if you had perfect information, you would be able to make sure that that truck is waiting at the airport when the plane lands or at the seaport when the container shows up and you would get it all dialed in and, you know, every truck would be scheduled appropriately and you would be replanning every five minutes so that if there's any delay, you're like automatically generating a new plan and reallocating containers. Yeah. Almost none of that can happen because there's not a system. It's it's 12 different companies, each running their own IT system or in many cases, guys with clipboards in warehouses, like no IT system at all yeah. on paper. Um, and so what there's two possible solutions to this. One is a giant mega corporation owns all the assets door to door and creates one IT backbone mm-hmm. for everybody. Uh, the other is use machine learning and data science and make it in the interest of these asset owners to participate, to come onto the platform. Almost like data is the new kind of killer asset. It, it, it should be. And you should be able to really generate insights. The more transactions that are flowing, the smarter you get. How, do we, how are we going to route this container? Yeah. Know in advance, oh, you know what? There's actually a bottleneck in LA right now. Let's route it through Oakland. Yeah. Um, things like this that, you know, the industry hasn't been that good at. It was really interesting to watch last year. Um, we had 100 container ships waiting off the port of LA and only five waiting off the coast of Oakland here yeah. in the Bay. And you're like, why don't, it's, it's, you have to go past Oakland to get to LA. <laughs> why don't they stop? You know, yeah. just unload the stuff. And, and it, it's hard. They don't have the data. They're not able to communicate in real time, make agile decisions, et cetera. So, uh, but that's going to be the future is actually like using tech, using data to, to route assets in a smarter way. Yeah. Well, I know I could easily stay and talk all day about supply chain, but I know that we are at time now. So I want to thank you so much, Ryan, for, for coming in and, and, and talking to us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the A16Z podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. We also recently launched on YouTube at youtube.com slash A16Z underscore video, where you'll find exclusive video content. We'll see you next time.